We're happy to enjoy another Sabbath together. I've been reading my Bible, and one of the things that come to mind and jump to my attention is the book of Luke, because he's an excellent historian. He's, he was so good that God allowed him to put his book, his writings, in his holy word. So that tells me that excellence is Christian behavior. No slappiness, no laziness. Excellence is also Christian behavior. Before we open our word, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to freely open your word and come to worship before you. We want to ask for the Holy Spirit to be your teacher, our guide today. Speak to our hearts and mind. And please, that these words don't come out of the mouth of a man, but the mouth of God. Help us to obey it and walk in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's open our Bibles to the book of Luke, to the chapter 17. Luke 17, verses 26 to 28. I hope you all bring your Bibles. Kids, where are the kids here? Only saw three. You're also here. Quit advice, bring your Bibles. And I'll tell you why. You see this thing here? What is this? What do we have here? We have, let's be honest, we have Instagram. What else we have? Facebook, what else? It's Nab, what? It's Snapchat. If we have our Bibles here, and we, well, we all have smartphones, right? Well, most of us have a smartphone. Well, whoever has a smartphone, I hope it's not so dumb that it doesn't have a Bible in it. So if we have the Bible in our phones and we turn it on, the devil will use any of those of us to distract you. Am I right? He will use a like, a blink, a light, a something that will distract you from reading the Word of God. For, for the, reading the Word of God. So please bring your Bible. You may end up using it. You never know. So let's read Luke 17, 26 to 28. And the Bible says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wife, they were given in marriage until the day they were given in marriage. Let's stop there. Verse 28. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. Stop right there. The Bible says clearly that in the last days will be as the days of Noah, as the days of Lot. If we see there are eight things that they were doing, that apparently there's nothing wrong with that. They ate. They drank, they married wife, they were given in marriage. Now we see they built, they sold, that's business, that's work. We gotta work, we gotta survive. That's things that we do every day. Now let me ask you something, and I want you to think about this. Which of these things is a sin? We think we're drinking water. <laughs> we think we're, thinking, we're talking about drinking water. But that's a good answer. Thank you. Which of these things is a sin? Which of these things is breaking one of the commandments? None of them is a sin. Are we, we agree? Let's read the end of... Mary wife is a sin? All right. We agree that none of this is a sin. None of them is breaking the commandments. Now let's read the end of verse 27. The end, of the, the, the end of verse 27, he said that Noah entered in the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 29, it says, But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So they were doing that everyday things we do. They were working they were not 
committing any sin, apparently. They were not breaking God's law. But the end was what? The destruction. And they were lost. What that tell us is that even things do not appear to be dangerous. Even things that appear to be normal, everyday things, it can get us lost. Even things that we don't even notice or think about it, it could get us lost. Notice that the Bible doesn't say that they weren't breaking in. They weren't committing adultery. They weren't killing anyone. But at the end, the result is the same. It's exactly the same. Let me tell you that the first commandment is a very is a first commandment for a very good reason. What does the Bible say? What's the first commandment? Chapter uh, Exodus twenty, chapter uh, chapter twenty, verse three. Just shall have no other gods before me. Now that is a is a first commandment for a very good reason. Sister Ellen you want in the book Great Controversy, page five eighty three, he says. It is not. It is as easy to make an idol of a false theory and doctrine as it is to fashion an idol of wood or stone. Not all idols are, ma- are made of wood or stones. We talk about eating, drinking. It's not a sin. Let me ask you, who arranged for us to eat? Who created us that way? God created us that way. He arranged for us to eat. We need food to survive. Now let's read, let's go to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Philippians, chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. The Bible says, For many walk... In whom I have told you often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction, whose God is who? Their belly. Stop right there. God arranged for us to eat. But even even doing the things that God told us to do and allowed us to do, we can do of that very thing a God. Can we not? He allowed us to eat. We need to eat, but doing the very things that he told us to do, and he allowed us to do, we can make that a God. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians, that they made their belly their God. Now again, who arranged for us to eat? God arranged for us to eat. Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 9 said, God made trees pleasant to the side and good for food. So God gave us a gift. Now, who gave the Israelites the instruction to offer burnt offerings? Who gave the Israelites the instructions to burn to offer burnt offerings? God told them what to do. What would that point at? To Jesus, to Jesus Christ, exactly. Now, let's read in the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. God told them, told them to offer burnt offerings, tell them how to do it, and that all those sacrifices will point to Jesus Christ. But let's see what God says now. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. The Bible says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Said the Lord. I have, I have had enough of burnt offerings of ram." And have the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs of goat. Does God sound angry in this place? Does he, does he sound a little bit uncomfortable, unhappy with what were they doing? Now again, who told them to do that? God himself told them to do that. Now why is he upset with them at what they're doing? Because they lost focus on Christ and put all the emphasis on the animals. They started doing it and they thought that just by killing an animal, they were free from their sin and they could go on living the way they wanted. That there was nothing for them to change. All they had to do was just bring an offering and kill it and offer it to God and that will be good enough. 
Now, if we put that in our daily life, could it mean that it could happen to us just by come to church as a routine? Come to church, just things that we do normally, that we don't have to change anything. Just come to church once a week, give our tithes, which we have to come to church and give our tithes, which are good things. But could God get upset because we're doing things just because we do it out of routine, of out of just regular things we do? Of course we can. Of course he can. That can happen. Now, let's read. And this is a verse that any coincidence with what happens today in daily life is a coincidence. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 17, 33. 2 Kings chapter, chapter 17, sorry, 33. You know, the preachers like to hear two sounds. One is the pages of the Bible turning. And the other one is that every now and then you can say an amen. All right, so we're in Second Kings 17. Let's read the verse 33. And he says, They fear the Lord, yet serve their own God, according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. They fear the Lord, yet deserve their own God. Again, we just finished saying that eating and drinking and doing all the regular day stuff that apparently are not dangerous, it could be, or it can turn out to be a God, even though they're fearing the Lord, or they're pretending to fear the Lord. There will be at the end of time people that they're very, very strict with the law abiding. Law abiding seven day Adventists, that they will be lost because the lost side of Christ and all their priorities are on things of the earth, not on things of heaven. The very things that they do over here, they do it for themselves. They eat for themselves, they drink for themselves, they work for themselves. Everything they do, they just completely lost sight of Christ. They're law abiding in the eyes of the church. They're law abiding in the eyes of the pastor, the elders. But their priorities have completely changed. And they're just doing things for themselves. What I'm trying to say is that in the very these last days, our very words, the way we live, the way we act, should tell people that our priority is getting ready and getting people ready for the Lord's second coming. Amen? By the way we dress, by the way we eat, the way we talk, people can tell who we are. And that's the opportunity. When you go to somewhere, when you go to school or work or wherever you go, it's not by coincidence. God wanted you there. God wanted you there to present the light. And the opportunity you have is by the words you speak, the way you act, the way you eat. And that's when people will start noticing the difference and they will ask you why you don't do this or do that. And that's the opportunity we have to start explaining the faith we have. Amen? That's the opportunity that God opened that door for us to tell people about our faith. We can try our educational system. We can try our skills. We can try science. We can try everything we want. But at the end, it will only be Jesus that will eradicate and erase sin from this world. Only his second coming can fix everything. In the meantime, we can try it every single way we want, but it will not happen. We live in a dangerous world, in a dangerous time. <clears throat> a while ago, when you think that you have heard everything, you always new things come up and you end up being surprised again. How many of you heard the news that the guy fell on thin ice and he was drowning. And some kids, you know how kids are always with their phones, right? And they see this man drowning, and guess what they started doing? They started recording this man that was drowning. 
They did not try to help or call for help. They was just recording, making fun of him. The man ends up dying. He drowned to death. Now, when that video was made popular, the family of that man tried to press charges on these kids. But the police or whoever's in charge, he said, well, we can't do nothing about it because they didn't have anything to do with the accident. They didn't push into the lake. They didn't do anything. They just didn't help. This is the time that we're living. This is the things that we see. But there will be another day when another judgment will come. And they will have to answer that. Even though they get away with the law of the land, they will answer that. Now, let's read a dangerous verse. Can we read a dangerous verse? Can we be honest? Let's open our Bibles to the book of Hebrew. Hebrew, chapter 10, 26. And I will explain why I call it a dangerous verse. I've read it in other churches. People might not like it, but it's in the Bible, and it's good. Hebrews 10, 26. Bible says, let's read it carefully, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remain as a sacrifice for our sins. If we sin willfully, that's a key word for me, willfully. Why? Can we be honest? Can we be honest? of us has willfully seen at least once in their life. Don't raise your hand. We all have done it. We all have done it. At least once in our life we have seen willfully. But what's what the Bible says? If you sin willfully after receiving the truth, there's no more sacrifice. Now does that mean that because I sin willfully once and we all have, now we're all lost? Is that what it really means? Is that what the Bible says? Oh, we have it. We have the verses over here. Good. It simply means that if we continue sinning willfully, because as we just saw, we all have at least once in our life. It doesn't mean that we're all lost. It means that we, if we continue after receiving the knowledge of the truth, after knowing what you're not supposed to do and you still do it, after knowing that what you did is wrong, you didn't apologize or ask for forgiveness to God and repent, it's easy to ask for forgiveness. It's easy to tell God, please forgive me for whatever I've done. The hardest part is to depart from doing that. And that's when we really, really got to bend our knees and plead to God to help us change. And everyone know what they have to change in their life as I know what I have to change in my life. It's easy. But it doesn't mean that because we sin willfully once, we're all lost. It just, if we continue after receiving and receiving the knowledge of the truth, if we continue to do it, when we're not supposed to. So, what the Lord is trying to tell us is that He wants the best for us. We will read a verse, and we're trying to see what Jesus did when He was a kid. Let's go to Luke chapter 2, verse 48. Are you all with me? Can you hear me clearly? It's a quiet group today. Luke 2, 48. And we all know the story. Jesus gets lost. He's a little kid. And Mary finds him. Luke 2, verse 48. Still here some pages, so I'll give you a little time. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, 
Why have you done this to us? Let's finish it. Look, look, your father and I have thought you anxiously. But look at the question that Mary asked. Why have you done this to us? It's a story of a little kid. How many of your parents have dreams for your kids? Just one? I think all the parents have dreams for their kids to become something good in life, to be something, to be somebody. Now, here's a story of a little kid that he growing up, and he says, Mom, Dad, I know what I want to be when I grow up. And they're anxiously waiting to see what he's going to say. Well, we, we know that your, do- your, your sister is a doctor, your uncle is a surgeon, and your brother is a pilot, and your neighbor is a governor, works for the state, or whatever. What would you want to be? And he said, I want to be a co-porter. Now, why do you think we are honest? Those parents' answer will be, would they be happy that he is thinking about being a co-porter? Or you think that they're going to answer the same way that Mary answered Jesus when they were looking, what are you doing to us? Why are you doing this to us? But let's, let's keep reading verse 49 and 50. Let's see the answer that Jesus gave him. Verse 49 and 16. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. They. Who are they? Who are they? Who didn't understand? Parents, name them. Joseph and Mary did not understand. Now, you don't believe me. Let's read what Patriarchs and Prophets says in page 126. It says, Now that Abraham has an especial call directly from heaven, he must dwell among strangers. His character must be peculiar, different from all the world. He could not explain his course of action so he can be understood by his friends. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned, and his motive and actions were not comprehended by his idolatrous kindred. His family and friends could not understand. Where are you going? I don't know. There will be times where you will decide to do things for God and your family will not understand. There will be times when you try to keep the Sabbath holy and they will not understand. Now, does it take faith to go somewhere where you don't know where you're going? What would happen if your husband or wife will get up one morning and say, I had a dream, I got to go. Where are you going, honey? I have no idea. Would you say, what a great man of faith, I'll go with him. Would you say that? Or what a great woman of faith, I'll go with her. Would you say that? Or would you say, honey, I don't know what you're taking, but it's not working. Now, there are two groups that have a great influence on our life. And I'm not talking about the military or the police. We're talking about, I guess you know who, family and friends. They have a great influence, great pressure on us. And rightly so, because we care about them. If anything happens, if anything is going to happen, the question is, what do they think? How does he feel about it? And we all always asking, how do they think? What do they think? But we seldom ask, what does God think? What does he say? Let's look and look. We'll see a little bit over the story of Elizabeth, the wife of Zachariah. And here's a woman of faith. that She decided to do the way, the way God said to do it. Let's look at the same book of Luke, chapter 1, and we'll read. Verses 57 and 58. Luke 1, 57 and 58. And the Bible says, Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives, give me another word for neighbors. Well, we're just talking about the two group of people that have influence on our life. Friends and family. So now we have their neighbors, their friends, and their relative, 
heard how the Lord has shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. It's always a happy time when we see a baby born, right? We always want to go see the baby. We always want to know how the mother is doing. It's always a happy time. Friends and family, family and friends are the ones that come over to see him. Now, verse 59 says, So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zechariah. Now, the tradition in those days is like mostly in these countries, North America, South America. The father is honored because the kid is going to take over his name, to carry his name. Not so much in Africa. They have different cultures. But North America, South America, is an honor for the father to carry their name, for the, for the kids to carry their name. So in this, this time, we see clearly that everyone thinks that the kid who carry, should carry Zachariah's name. Now, they say that they, they should call him like his father, Zachariah. Verse 60. His mother answered and said, No, he should be called John. Now, the family and friends are saying he should be called Zachariah as his father. The mother said, No, he should be called John. Now, why she said no? Let's look at verse 13. Verse 13, he says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayers is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bury you a son, and you should call his name, what? Zachariah? No, you should call his name John. Now, who said that? I'm sorry, who? The angel of the Lord. But Well, the angel is only a messenger. So who really said that? God himself said you should call him what? John. Family and friends are saying you should call him Zechariah. Let's keep reading. Verse 61. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by his name. Now they're trying another way. There's no one in your family who has another name. Now you're, going against, you're not only going against family and friends, now you're going against culture. There's no one in your family that has done that before. How can you dare go against tradition and culture? Verse 62. So they made signs to his father what he would have him call. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they all marveled. Now here's a woman that have decided to do what God said. Amen? Here's a woman of decision. Here's a woman that do not care what family and friends are doing or saying. She will do what God said to do. She would not care about what the tradition is or what everybody believes. She would decide to do what God says. And at the end is what? They asked his father. He's, he can't talk at the time. He wrote in it. His name should be John. Now isn't it beautiful when husbands and wife agree so easily? woman decided now I ask again was it a sin whether it should be John or Zachariah think about it was there a sin whether you should name him John or Zachariah what would have happened if you name him Zachariah is there a sin or not it is a sin why because you're going against what God says Apparently, is nothing dangerous in it. There's not dangerous. Nothing wrong. You're going with the tradition. You're going what you're used to. But you're going against what God said. Now, we will all have circumstances where our knees will buckle. And they will buckle because we're human beings. It's normal. But it doesn't mean we have to collapse. When we have the pressure on family and friends and on the culture... There will be times that our, our knees will buckle, but we don't have to collapse. That's the time we fall in prayer and we say, God, strengthen me. And let me follow what your word says. Let me obey what you're saying. And God will strengthen us and will help us. I was reading, thank you. I was reading the other day uh, a public research that will say that when kids come to faith first, only 14% of the family will follow. 
When the woman comes to faith first, 26% of the rest of the family will follow. Now you can finish this for me, right? When the man comes to faith first, 96% of the family will follow. Now, that tells me that even secular research tells me that the man is being put as the head of the family. Is put at the head of the church. Is put at the head of the community. Now, we've seen a woman that decided to do what God says. Even secular researchers, they agree with what God said. The man is the head of the home, church, and family. Now, I want you to look around for a little bit. Turn your head around. Look around you. Do you think there is a coincidence that the majority of the church are women? The women smile. I can see from here, and this is a small congregation. I come from a 200, 250 people congregation. It's a big, large, it's easier to see that. There is no coincidence that the majority of people in church are the women. The Baptist church have 80% of their members are women. And I think it's the same for every congregation. You think it's a coincidence? My friends and family, the devil have done a special work with the men. That God said that they're supposed to be the head of their home and family and church. And the devil has done such a good work that have kept the men out of church and put them in prison. Exactly what God said, you are or you guys are picked to be the leaders. And the devil has done a word that take them out of church, take them out of their house, put them in prison. It's not coincidence. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. Priest, please. Pray for a fellow man. Pray for each other. We're only an instrument of God for the salvation of the human race. In His Word, God not once says, love yourself. The first four commandments are love God. The last six, love your fellow man. Not one says, love yourself. We're just an instrument. So as men, we used to talk about a woman that took a stand. Now I'll be talking to the men and I include myself. As men and women and women, we have to take a stand for what's right. Amen? We have to take a stand for what God says. It, taking a stand doesn't make you a dictator. It makes you faithful to God. Today is the seventh day Sabbath. Turn that TV off. We have a dietary diet in Leviticus 11. Put that shrimp back doesn't make you a dictator. It just makes you faithful to God, to what, to what He said, to his, to his Word. Now again, in Luke 2, 49 and 50, we read that the parents did not understand. Mary and Joseph. Now, who picked them to be the parents? They were handpicked by God to be the parents and to raise Jesus. Now, when He took a stand and He started His ministry, they do not understand. Let's go to John 7. John chapter 7. And we will see about his brothers, Joseph, all their sons. John 7, 5. The Bible says, For even his brothers did not believe him. So now we see Jesus, 12 years old kid, is taking a stand. His parents did not understand. His brothers did not believe him. What do you think he happened to the apostles? The Bible says that they fled. They ran away. Remember when Job betrayed him? When Judas betrayed him, I'm sorry. They all came to look for him. And all the apostles, they fled. They forsook him. Why do you think that Jesus stayed faithful to his calling? 
Jesus stayed faithful to his calling because the commitment to the calling that his father has placed on him. Whatever happened to him, he will stay faithful to the calling that the father has placed on him. And because of that decision, and because of that commitment, the whole human race can be saved today. Amen? Jesus' knees buckled at one time. Remember that? When did that happen? In Gethsemane. He knew what was going to happen to him. He wasn't happy about it. He's, he, was, he was a human being at the time. He said, Father, Father, if it's possible, what? Pass this cup away from me. In other words, if there is another way, please. But how did that prayer end? Not my will, but your will be done. Even though his knees buckled for a little bit, he prayed and he gets strengthened by God. Not my will, but thy will be God. The book uh, Desire of Ages says that when he prayed that prayer, the whole universe stopped dead to look at God the Father what the answer was going to be. Here is his son dying for the human race. The devil is attacking him constantly. And he's praying to be delivered from that position. Now what God the Father is going to say. Well, there's no record of him saying anything. Jesus said, well, not my will, but your will be done. And he went on to die for every one of us. In a moment of opposition... We might be tempted to give in, but listen to this carefully. In a moment of opposition, we might be tempted to give in a little bit, but that will endanger our life and those that are given to us. Who are those that are given to us? Who are the closest one to you? Your family and friends. God has given them to you because you're supposed to represent God in their myth. You were supposed to show them the Christian character, the way of the right way of living. Is standing for what's right is what may transform your home, your wife, your husband, and your kids. You want a transformation in your home? You gotta start doing it by yourself. And your decisions might transform their life. Can we say amen, please? Your decision for what's right can transform their life. They don't want to hear a sermon. They want to see a sermon. They want to see the way you live. They don't want to hear what you tell them to do. They want to see you living it. They want to see how you do it. Now let's go, let's go to Mark 14.50. And we're almost done. Mark 1450. Now we'll read what the disciples did. The Bible said that then they all forsook him and fled. Now, do you think that Jesus could have run? When they came for him, do you think that Jesus could have run? And I'll tell you, he would run faster than them. He was the creator. We see that if his parents didn't understand him. His brothers did not believe in him. His disciples fled and ran away. But Jesus held his ground. He stayed there. Now let's look at what happened at the cross. Before we go there, ideas are coming to my mind now because... The parents didn't understand. The brothers didn't believe him. The disciples ran away. In the cross, when he's dying, he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And Ellen Uy said that he turned his face. He could not bear to see his son dying. Christ did not lie. God the Father forsook him for a little bit. Turn his face. Now, if God the Father forsook him for a moment, what do you think happened to the Holy Spirit? You think he was there? 
No, it couldn't be there. If the Holy Spirit was gone, what do you think the angels happened to them? They were gone. Now, let's look at this verse. Hebrew 1. Hebrew chapter 1. Verse 3. Bible says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purchased sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If we read this verse carefully, we will see that it said, He had by himself purchased our sins now we understand why he said the words he said now we understand what he said why have you forsaken me because he was all alone against his parents did not understand his brother did not believe in him his disciples ran away from him the father forsook him for a bit the holy spirit turn away the angels were gone everybody was gone and the bible said that he was completely alone and he stood his ground amen he went for his mission he came on a mission he wasn't here on a vacation he came on a mission and that mission was to save you and me he wants to save us more than sometimes we want to save ourselves he will do anything and everything to get you to heaven. God the Father, He rather send His Son to die for us than live in heaven without us. You didn't hear me. God the Father, He rather send His sons to die for us than live in heaven without us. Now He came on a mission. When we're on a mission, we gotta do what we gotta do. When we're on vacation, we pause, we relax. We take pictures, we make phone calls, we do this, we eat, we do that. But God the Father did not do that. Sorry, God, Jesus the Son did not do that. Now, there is a warning in Ezekiel 33. And this is coming to an end right now. I'm wrapping this up. Ezekiel 33. Chapter 33, verse 8. There is a warning that, that the Lord gave us in this verse. And he says, When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you should surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his ways that the wicked man should die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require of your hands. In other words, the wicked will die for his sins. But if you do, do not say anything for him to be saved, his blood will be on your hands. Is that what it says? That's exactly what it says. That's why I said the way we live, the way we act, the way we speak, the way we eat, the way we drink, even though it appears like nothing dangerous that's a way for us to speak to other people that's a way to act that's a way they will know they will see they will read something different in us if we walk that way if we do the things that God tells us to do the way he wants us to do not the way I want to do it then we'll be speaking to other people now we will, I would like for all of us to say like the apostle John said to the elders in the church of Ephesus. Let's go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. There is Paul speaking to the elders in the church of Ephesus. Let's read chapter 20, 25 and 27. Acts chapter 20, verse 25 and 27. The Bible says, And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I gave 
He says that he's clean from the blood of all men. What do you think that means? He's, he's simply saying, no one will be lost because of me. Because I told them what they needed to know for their salvation. That's what he's saying. Let's not let God charge us for all these people lost. We're out to help them, to show them the way. We're not to show ourselves to do what we want. Let's not God charge us with the loss of our family because we never took a stand for what's right. We saw an example of a woman that took a stand against family, friends, and tradition and she went for what God said. We saw the example of Jesus that even though everybody forsook him, he took a stand and stood firm. There are no more dates in Bible prophecies. You know that, right? The last date of prophecies was 1844. And that was a long time ago. But there's one thing left. Matthew 24 says. That the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world and all the nations. And then what? Finish it for me, please. And then the end will come. The word is being, is being preached. People are hearing about the good news. We have reports of, in Africa and South America, people being baptized by the thousands. The Holy Spirit is pouring down. What's your calling? What's my calling? What are we doing with our calling? And I will say something that will make you think a little bit. We know that we're living in the last days. And very soon, very soon, the last appeal. Very soon, the last sermon. Very soon, the last baptism. The last crusade. Sooner than we think, the doors of our church will be open for the last time. And while they close, they'll be closed forever. We have no time to waste. We have to start making decisions for God. How long we've been in church? I don't know. How long we've been praying, uh, playing church? I don't know. How long will it take to take a stand for God again? Is your name, is my name written in the book of life? You may ask him, what is that? It's just simply taking the Lord as a personal Savior so He can defend me in the heavenly courts. And we can do that in an open ceremony that is called the baptism. I don't think we have many visitors. I think we all baptized members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus, water and fire. Baptism of water, when we go in the water of fire is by the Holy Spirit. May we all be baptized with the Holy Spirit. May we all be baptized with the Holy Spirit to take a stand for God, to do what He says, to do what's right. Like I said before, time is running out. And we don't want to be left out. After being in church for so long, we don't want to be left out. Now, I want to make appeal if it's okay with you. 
to pray that God can help us to start making the right decisions. Can I see your hands? If you want today to start making the right decision, please stand up. Let's pray together and let's ask God to help us. Because He said Himself, without me, you can do nothing. I cannot let you go home the same way you came in, pretending that you never heard anything. God sees what we heard. God sees what I spoke. And we're all responsible for our actions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this beautiful day. Because your Bible, your word is clear and transparent. And it tells us exactly what you want and what you expect from us. Please, Lord, let us not let you charge us with the loss of our family and friends. They're all important to us. They're the closest ones to us. Because let's not forget that because my bad decisions, not only me, but they can be lost. Lord, we ask you and we plead with you that you pour your Holy Spirit upon our life and that we start making the right decisions. We all know what we have to get better on. We all know what we have to change. And we ask you to please change it for us, transform it, take it away. That we might be new creatures in you. And whatever we are, they can start noticing something different. And give us the opportunity to open up and explain the faith that we have in you. We thank you for everyone that is here today. And they might go home and fill with the Holy Spirit. Do whatever they are. They can show the Christian character to their fellow friends. We want to ask for your guidance for your help, for your blessing. Because you don't only tell us to walk, you walk with us. You held our hands and guide us. We want to please ask you to be with us from this day forward. We want to ask for a special blessing for the congregation in this church, for the pastor, for their elders, that they may be filled with the Holy Spirit filled with wisdom, and they might guide your people. Please forgive our sins. Our sins. Please forgive all our wrongdoings and help us to depart from them. We ask you to never leave us nor forsake us. And we ask you to please help us to never leave you nor forsake you. Help us to keep growing in our Christian life, to keep growing in our daily living. Help us get better and help us get ready and get others ready for your second coming. We thank you for listening to our prayer, for hearing our prayers, for answering according to your will. And we ask all this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. God bless you and have a rest. Happy Sabbath.